Hey there, listener. Thanks for tuning in to this very first episode of the I Think It's a Classic podcast. Uh, We had a lot of fun making it. Uh, Along with the fun, it was a bit of a learning experience, so you may notice a little bit of audio quality issue with John's voice. Um, That's something that we fix from the next episode on, so I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, despite some of the audio quality. And even more so, I hope you enjoy Beck's classic album, Odelay, as much as we did. Thanks again for tuning in, and uh, enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the I Think It's a Classic podcast. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Tannis Gale, and uh, next to me, well, across the country, I got uh, John Brummer. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I am doing fantastic. Super excited for this first episode. Super excited (laughs) to talk about this uh record but uh first uh what have you been listening to this week uh i have actually been listening to a lot of interpol and why is that i I have a feeling there Uh, might be a reason for that well i mean they have a new album out which actually i haven't been listening to that much but they were one of the bands i was very excited to see uh last weekend at uh riot fest Mm -hmm. which i actually only got to catch a little bit of because i opted to go see the jesus lizard instead wise Um, choice yes very wise choice it was a great show uh better than i could have imagined it was amazing (laughs) um Um, other things i've been listening to a lot of gorillas actually pretty much for the first time because my son has uh really been into them lately mm-hmm. yeah, it's good stuff good stuff um yeah i was even listening to the new album i've not heard that one at all the now now is actually very good um it's got a couple of really great singles on it uh humility is probably my favorite Mm-hmm. But my favorite version of it is actually a remix done by a band called Superorganism. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they, they're they kind of like what the Gorillas would be like if the Gorillas came out right now. Gotcha. Yeah. Lots of clashes of different styles, but in a, a decent fashion. It doesn't sound so shoehorned together. Yes, exactly. Um, but also, you know, has a very... It's got a big pop sensibility to the whole thing. Uh, Very electronic, too. Uh, Throws a lot of different sounds in there. But they're very catchy. Yeah. Excellent. I have been listening to a lot of Electric Wizard this week. Uh, They had an album that came out towards the tail end of last year. Wizard Bloody Wizard. Yeah. And that thing just fucking slays. I am so in love with it. And, yeah, uh, it, I I have that on my iTunes, and it is very good. I also love the cover. Oh yeah, well every they're kind of one of those bands that every single album they release has a great cover, and then what you get inside sounds exactly like what the cover's telling you it's gonna be. 
It's kind of like an Iron Maiden album in that way. Yeah, except, you know, not so many wizards and demons and more just like, fuck you, we're getting in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They just... They have this really cool vibe on Wizard Bloody Wizard that is just a, just different enough from what they've done in the past. Uh, a little less cookie-cutter doom and a lot more uh, just kind of 70s rock tribute-y, but not in, a, yeah. not in such a derivative way. Like, it still sounds exactly like an electric wizard. It's not like, oh, this is our Thin Lizzy album, but I'll be goddamned if yeah, some of those it... songs don't have that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that it's definitely the most catchiest of anything that I've ever listened to by them. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, they, yeah, that band just slays. So, yep, that's been my jam. And, uh, I don't know, just mentioning the gorillas and uh, Super Organism just a few minutes ago as you were telling me about them and how they're kind of a mishmash of a bunch of different si styles. Uh, sounds like a good segue in today's album that we think is a classic. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you uh, got introduced to Bex Odelay? I was trying to think about this. I'm pretty sure that this was an album that I traded someone else for. Like, remember when you used to do that in high school where mm -hmm. um, you would be like, hey, I don't want this album anymore, but I really want my friend's album. And you would try to get rid of the worst album you had yeah. so you could get. I, I think this was the only time, because I didn't do that too often. Mm -hmm. This was the only time that I traded with someone where I actually came out on top. <laughs> Like, usually it was like, you know, and usually I wouldn't even go through with the trades because they would be like, hey, um, how about uh, I trade you? Everyone always wanted my my version of 10. They they always wanted me to trade 10 for something. Your Pearl Jam's 10. Why why and your version of 10? I mean, just, I just your copy or did you have some fancy cover? Oh, okay. It wasn't a fancy. It wasn't a fancy version. Gotcha. <laughs> they just wanted my copy of it. And I don't know why. And they always were, like, trying to trade me, like, super crappy albums for it. <laughs> and I was, even though, like, I'm not the biggest Pearl Jam fan, I was still like, ah, whatever you're, you've got to give me, I'm not willing to let 10 go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can't remember what album I traded to get Bex Odelay, but I'm pretty sure that's how I acquired it. And... Like I said, I, I definitely came out on top on whatever it was because I can't remember what I traded for it. Gotcha, but, gotcha. Um, yeah, I remember this record blowing my mind when I was, I had to have been 14 or 15 because I was just getting into high school in 1996. Right, right. So actually, it might have even been pre, like, you were like in like eighth with, grade because you were, you were two years above me in school and I was like fifth and sixth grade in 19. 96 yeah yeah this it i think it came out in october of 90 is was it october of 96 um if it was october then that was my first few months of high school yeah it blew my mind oh june I, june so it was right before oh, summer cool. started it was yeah, a it so was a summer album <laughs> summer uh, and that's you know really this is a perfect summer album it's it's you know got great vibes all around it um but i had never really heard anything like this 
And I remember at some point while I was having a discussion with uh, my every so often in the high school years, I would end up talking to my dad about, you know, how uh, not well I was doing in school. And I knew one of these conversations was coming and I tried to break the ice by talking about, you know, asking if he had heard anything off of Beck's Odelay and he completely dismissed the question. And, uh, <laughs> so I was trying, I remember trying to get out of trouble using Beck's Odelay, uh, at my, dis, you know, disposal, but didn't really work out for me, uh, mostly <laughs> because he was not a fan. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was at that time. I think at that time I'd never really delved much into hip hop. I definitely hadn't delved too much into electronic music. And I think that this was right before like groups like Prodigy and all of that electronic music started permeating the alternative waves. Yeah, for sure. Well, lo yeah, what a loser, loser blew up in 1994. It's pretty interesting how it kind of came up out of nowhere. And this DJ here is highly influential DJ here in Seattle really liked it. He threw it on the airwaves and um, I actually ended up on the radio one time requesting that song when I was a kid. Like they played this oh, yeah. montage. Yeah, they played a little montage of everybody that had requested the song throughout the day or whatever. And I was totally in there. My little high pitched voice, prepubescent tan is going, loser by back, loser by back, loser by back. <laughs> I don't think you've ever told me that. Oh, yeah, it's pretty silly. But I remember how stoked I was just like, oh, yeah. And um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that that was my introduction to Beck. And then I remember um, where it's at was the first single off this album. And I still remember mm -hmm. being in my room at night. Probably one of the first times that song got played, just listening to the radio all on my own and just being like, holy shit, this guy rules. <laughs> that song just hit so many notes. And we'll get to it. I just wanted to say that that was my introduction to this album. And I never owned it when I was younger. I owned it uh, in my late teens, early 20s was the first time I actually listened to the whole, whole damn thing. So, Yeah, and I, I can't remember exactly what introduced me to the album what made me um want to you know make it as part of my collection because i i mean i had mellow gold and i at the time i really liked mellow gold but i mean i gotta say i went back a couple of years ago and tried to listen to mellow gold and that album did not hold up it is not good yeah <laughs> almost not like almost completely unlistenable to me at least <clears throat> yeah i never um, i never really listened to it even I, I i recorded loser off the radio and you know i was like in fourth grade so that's that's all i needed you know i wasn't buying albums so i never never listened to mellow gold i can't even remember i i had mellow gold on tape i listened to the shit out of it at the time but i i, I for whatever reason i mean it just does not hold up i feel so yeah, I feel. The interesting thing about this album was is that he actually went into it almost about to create another Mellow Gold, but even maybe even more somber. And he was coming into this recording sessions, writing songs about death and, and everything. And thankfully, he decided to scrap that whole idea and make this album instead because... I mean, even listening to it in the last, you know, listening to it over and over again, the whole thing holds up still. It, it, I mean, it's filled with great tracks. Um, every single single 
even though th this is probably you know i was never the biggest beck fan besides this album this is the last album i really listened to of his and i would still hear all the singles and still be like man those are great songs you know that's a weird thing for me because i'm the kind of guy who usually gets very very tired of the singles and and pretty much even my favorite band of all time pink floyd if i never heard another brick in the wall part two again i could probably live with myself <laughs> you know yeah i feel you on that one but uh yeah speaking of singles uh this album starts off with the second huge hit single from this album let's go into the first track of odelay here's a a little bit of a devil's haircut Oh. I love how this uh the song's just it's it's what is it what wow what's the term what's the term other podcasters that we're fans of that happen to talk about albums at full length use what do they call that a mission statement yeah that's this first devil's ah, haircut is a, a mission fucking statement. mission statement I mean starting off with that MC5 riff that sample well from, actually uh, the 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 amazing thing is, is because this is one of the only samples that I realized, you know, that I recognized off of the album. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about that is, is I didn't realize that it was a sample until um, when I was in my early 20s and I got the, the MC5 Greatest Hits. And I think that's when we both realized that that riff was used on Devil's Haircut. But that's actually a cover of a Them song. You know who them is, right? Nope. Fill me in. Them is them is Van Morrison's first band. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, they actually there there's a great song that they do called Here Comes the Night that David Bowie actually covered and did a great version of. But the the other interesting thing about that guitar line is that's not even sampled from the them version. That's actually back playing the guitar riff over and over again. Oh, nice. It's interesting that they didn't just go with the sample, seeing as this album was produced by the Dust Brothers, who are very sample heavy. Well, and almost everything <laughs> on this album is it's it's like Paul's Boutique 2.0. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the great thing about the Dust Brothers, too, is that not only did they use great samples, they were able to pull out obscure samples that still sounded great. Um, this I actually got to see back for the first time last week at Riot Fest, and this was actually the first song that he did, and I didn't even get to see it live because I was still, uh, I was busy trying to get out of the crowd for uh, Jesus Lizard and uh, get a beer, and the first song I actually heard him play was Loser, but I didn't even get to, to hear the whole thing and just heard, you know, about three quarters of it through <laughs> the beer time. You, you, yeah, you, you get to the venue and it's just, things are going to change. I can feel it. You're like, ah, shit. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> and the interesting thing about that was I was amazed. I mean, that was his second song. You know, first song was Devil's Haircut, which makes sense because, I mean, that's a great opener. Mm -hmm. But his second song was Loser. And uh, we'll get to it later what his third song was. But... I was just like, wow, he's really burning through the hits. I mean, he, the, he's he's not fucking around tonight. He's just going all for it. Kind of like when I saw Weezer earlier this summer. Yeah, they opened with Buddy Holly, which was great. And then they played Beverly Hills, arguably their second biggest hit, which was not so I can't stand that song. But 
More yeah, power to him. Everybody, everybody was pretty stoked. It's just weird hearing about an already successful guy wish that he was successful hanging out with celebrities, even though that's what he's doing in his life. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're not we're not talking about Weezer. Anyway. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that they played the exact same set when I saw them at Riot Fest last week. Oh, why I wouldn't they? Same tour, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I would tell you more, but I, I was pretty drunk Friday, and I don't remember most of it. <laughs> yep, neither does your mustache. Which you don't have mm -hmm. most of anymore. Exactly. Story for another time. A story for another time. <laughs> um, another thing that I really liked about this, and um, luckily I never went too deep into this hole. I only started getting attracted to some music that had kind of this um, 60s loungy vibe. You know, like the guitars kind of doing throughout the, when it's not doing the MC5 rift or the them rift. It's doing that, you know, just that nice little chirpy. And yeah. just yeah, that just that really loungy type of shit. I really liked yeah. it when I was younger, but like looking back on it, I'm so glad I never became one of those like lounge lizard culture dudes calling everybody daddy o and <laughs> spending eight hundred dollars on coffee tables that are shaped like old solar system logos and stuff like that. Yeah, there. I mean, there is something to be said about that style of guitar playing. It is a, it, it's a nice, I mean, that, that, that was the, the original rhythm, you know, that, that was the original rhythm guitar playing where we're not so used to it because we're used to, you know, crunchy rhythm guitars taking up most of the space where like an organ or, or whatever would be, you know, making some of the, the that, those notes too. Yeah. Letting the bass anyway, and the drums really do the dance. But it just really has this ass-shaking quality to it. Like, you can dance to Devil's Haircut. It's pretty great. And, you know, that's not only due to, to Beck, but, you know, the Dust Brothers' great production on this album. Well, do you have anything yeah. more to say about uh, old Devil's Haircut? Nope, I don't think so. I think I've, I think I've gotten everything out that I needed to about that. Well, actually, the one thing I was going to say is it is kind of weird, you know, now that we all know that Beck is fairly heavy into Scientology, to know how many drugs he must have had to take to write those lyrics. I don't know, man. He might have been just been one of those those guys. Just a weird guy like Tim and Eric, you know? They're they they they, they create this entire like, entirely like surrealistic, like fucked up nonsense that you think, oh man, those guys gotta be smoking something, you know, when they write that stuff. But they don't, you know, they're just they're just twisted naturally. Yeah, but I mean, there's other things that I, I mean, I think there's even lyrics on this album where he references straight up just, you know, getting really Cocaine. fucked up that, yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that he, you know, he had to have had something going on, at least for a little bit. Maybe, maybe this was pre-Scientology, I don't know, but yeah. it, it's kind of weird. Staying clean you know? shaven does wonders if that was the case, man. He was really just a yeah. <laughs> snorting everything he could find yeah it's possible <laughs> all right uh so the next song uh is hot wax and uh let's hear a little uh maybe bit of hot wax here Now this song I feel is 
kind of like, all right, we set the stage with Devil's haircut. Let's uh, let's keep going. Let's use the Dust Brothers to their full potential and make a straight up hip hop song. And it really yeah, just does I, sound was... like a straight up, like almost a lost track from Paul's Boutique, where it's like yeah, the Beastie Boys were like, and we have this other guy to just do this one right here. I, I as I was listening to this, I, I realized that you know this is the first song where you really realize that this is a Dust Brothers production, you know. And and that and that guitar riff, it's just it reminds me of like Son of a Preacher Man. Is that the song that I'm thinking of? I I don't know. No, I don't know. Damn. But I didn't I didn't want to look up every single goddamn sample. I wanted to talk about this naturally. <laughs> So I didn't yeah, want to sound like a fake encyclopedia of like, well, they used the samples of this obscure Croatian R&B band. <laughs> Der Flepister. Yes. They played that uh, backwards. I, I, I mean, that's just what I gathered from it, but no. The but. one thing that I, I, I kind of found interesting about this song, too, is that it is very reminiscent of Loser. Mm -hmm. Although I think the rapping is better in it, though. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, he does a really, it, it's kind of, it's weird that people, you don't think of Beck in the uh, the pantheon of, like, white hip-hop. As odd as that sounds, it's weird that it sounds odd, because you listen to a lot of his music, and so much of it, especially early on, is just rap. He's just rapping. Yeah. <laughs> Straight I mean, yeah, up, there's no way around rapping. it. Yeah, and and he's good at it, too. I mean, he was a great lyricist. Um, and do you think it's because he's doing kind of what the BC Boys did and he's not trying to sound black, you know? He's not trying to sound like, yeah, I'm from the the streets of Harlem, you know? he's It's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just this fucking dude and I hang out on the beach and I smoke a lot of weed, but I don't rap about, you know, it's just, I don't yeah. know. He has this beach bum vibe, but he's not talking about being a beach bum or beach bum shit. Like, just this yeah. cool, laid back rapping voice that's surprisingly tolerable considering is yeah besides the beastie boys the other white dudes that were rapping were like at the time were like what snow and vanilla ice before that and <laughs> yeah it was a whole lot of terrible i mean i you know what i think i think the reason why nobody really talks about you know beck and and his rapping is because you know white rap is always with the you know the few exceptions the beastie boys eminem and I, I think that most people took Beck very seriously as a musician and as a songwriter, so they didn't want to lump him into... And, and you know, the fact that it wasn't just straight-up hip-hop either kind of kept him out of that, that line of fire, which I, I think is great because, you know, otherwise, if he had been shot down immediately with, uh, you know, something like Loser or some of the other hip-hop-influenced songs on Mellow Gold... We wouldn't have gotten this album, and we wouldn't have gotten some of the greater stuff that you know he did after that. You know, he, he's 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 an enigma. He's constantly uh, changing and 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 just you know going with whatever he feels like making at that time, which is great. Yeah, you know, have you ever listened to Del the Funky Homo Sapiens older stuff, or any of any of Del the Funky Homo Sapiens stuff that I've heard? I've heard some like Deltron Thirty Thirty. Uh, no, like, I haven't heard full albums. Mostly, the thing I'm familiar with is his bit on Clint Eastwood. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a pretty but, good example of what that dude does. I mean, on a regular yeah, basis, he's, he's not, great. He's not a traditional rapper either. 
And if I was, yeah, if I was to compare Beck to any rapper, I think it would be Del the Funky Homo Sapien, as odd as that yeah, almost I, sounds. I, I, I would sound, I would say that that sounds completely fair. I, that is not something that I would say is out of line at all. No, a little brag moment. I saw Del do uh, Clint Eastwood with hieroglyphics, his his big oh, nice. super group once. That was when did, fucking when was fun that? as hell. Oh, it was years ago. It was uh, back when I was dating the Dreddy girl. Way, way back. Oh. Um, yeah, so it was a while ago, like early aughts. Um, oh, wow. And uh, another thing that I really like about this song, back to Hot Wax here, <laughs> another thing that I really like about Hot Wax is um, like that's just mega distorted harmonica that comes up through uh-huh. the song. And I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where at first you think that's just like a really fuzzy guitar and then it hits like the straight up like break where the guy's breathing in and out of the harmonica really fast you know with a... and you're just like wait 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 what yeah <laughs> that wasn't just fuzzy squeaky guitar like holy shit like the genius of the dust brothers and i kind of wonder yeah. like stuff like that with albums like this and you know this more sample heavy stuff like this or or paul's boutique or you know something where it's a group and a producer you know whose idea is what I don't like, know. I, like, does honestly, he just throw in a, a fucking distorted harmonica and he's like, that sound all right? You think, yeah, yeah. Beck's like, I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, in in this situation, I it, it, it would have been nice to be a fly on the wall during these sessions. Like, I guarantee you during something like uh, Paul's Boutique or when the Dust Brothers worked with Tone Loke or um, uh, Young MC, mm-hmm. I guarantee you they came to them and they're like, this is what we have for you. I have done a little bit of dabbling with producing myself and essentially you just, you put all the, the, the stuff together. You, you, you know, you write the music and then you send it off to the guy who's going to rap over it. Then they, they do what they do best and they rap over it. I think in this case, I bet you Beck was way more hands-on. They were probably like, Hey, we got this idea. You know, maybe we're going to use this sample here. Maybe. Uh, and then he's like, cool. I've got a guitar riff. I can put it you know, let's, uh, you know, let me hit the, the organ. Beck seems to be way more, um, way more hands-on in that aspect than I would expect. Even the Beastie Boys, as talented as they were, you know, to have been at that time, especially. Well, do you have any more to yeah. say about Hot Wax? Nope. Let's Excellent. move on to Lord Olindo. Ooh, this, I fucking love this song. It's, it's... This song... It's it's what's I even have it written in my it's the, notes. It's the, one of my favorite of the non-singles. That's the first thing I wrote on mine for this song as well. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Straight up. Um, this song is amazing. Yeah, it's the uh, the uh, surrogate title track or its refrain yeah. of the uh, Odelay. But well, and, um, and the the funny thing is, for the longest time, I thought that this song was just called Odelay. Yeah, you know, your little your I young brain why. would, of course. <laughs> Well, it's kind of like that. It's the Mighty Mighty Boston Syndrome. They should have called that song Knock on Wood, but instead they yeah, called it, it The it, Impression it, That I Get. And ever, no. <laughs> fucking. Well, really? Yeah, like, it, that, that's such a weird thing, too, because, you know, everyone knows the part where, you know, you never had to knock on wood. And then they, they quietly, towards the end of that, say, That's the impression that I get. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, he should have called the song Odelay. Yeah, it'd be like calling Comfortably Numb just a little pinprick. It's like, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I, I don't understand how, you know, some some of these songs get their titles. 
I have a, I honestly have a feeling it's like, nah, we can't be that obvious. I mean, come on, what are we, like, what is this, the 60s? We're just going to name our every song after the chorus, you know? Yeah, that that is true. I mean, I guess obviousness does play a little factor into it. And, you know, actually, nowadays, I think it's smart when they don't call the uh, the song that uses the title of the album, you know what I mean, like, where, where they just use the the name of the album in a song so that way like when you're like hey siri can you play me um odelaide it the whole album plays instead of being like no the song odelaide or no the album odelaide <laughs> and in conversation it helps you weed out some real dum-dums yeah exactly <laughs> well but the, see the, the the thing i've learned especially with talking with strangers about music it's very, it's so easy to weed out the dum-dums because like in, in this case, like if, if I was wearing my Beck shirt that I bought at Riot Fest, people could come up to me and say, oh, Beck, I love his music. And I'd be like, that is the correct way that, that you say that. But when I've been wearing my Pink Floyd shirts in the past or when I've, you know, talked about Jethro Tull or when I've talked about, you know, other bands that have like names on the titles and people go, oh, I love his music. His music is so good. I'm like, that's his not music. a person's name. You're an idiot. <laughs> like, you might as well just be like, I heard a song once and I thought it was okay and I really want you to think I'm cool. <laughs> well, the Jethro Toll one is forgivable because A, that band sucks, so who fucking cares? And B, <laughs> like, yeah. Ian Anderson well, puts himself all over, you know, even on the cover of Aqualong, <laughs> the bum looks like fucking Ian Anderson. Like, yeah, and he I, puts himself all over the place, so it's like, oh yeah, the guy that plays the flute is Jethro Toll. Jethro. You know, I, I, I get that one. Pink Floyd one, that's fucking inexcusable. Yeah, well, because they didn't have any images. By the way, you're probably going to have to answer some hate mail from my dad. Oh, oh I was, <laughs> Greg, I was just kidding. Like, take, take it with a grain of salt. I was more hoping to get a reaction out of you, but after I didn't get one, I was like, well, that's pointless <laughs> ripping Jeff LaRotol. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> No. Actually, I'm not as I'm I, I I'm not as big of a fan as my dad is. No, I just I I, uh, I would love to picture my dad right now if he's listening. You know, whenever he listens to this, God damn it! The angriest letter. We got our first YouTube comment that says I suck. One of the best bands ever. Ian Anderson was a great performer, and uh, he's really going. He's actually going to send me some hate mail about this because all of a sudden I forgot to. I forgot what the drummer's name is that he has been beating into my head since I was a kid. Um, <laughs> Drum throw so, tall? Yeah, I don't know. Get, <laughs> Drum throw tall. <laughs> we're both gonna we're getting we're getting some hate mail after this <laughs> oh man probably yeah and he has your personal email now <laughs> well let you just let him know that i'm too young to die and he's too old to rock and roll so <laughs> he's too old to rock and roll <laughs> <laughs> and i'm too young to die yes uh, i'm just kidding i just uh yeah greg i'm not shitting on jethro toll simply trying to troll john <laughs> Didn't work. You were collateral damage. Spare me, please. I just I don't I don't anyway. I don't need to be sent to hell by your 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 extreme knowledge because you'll do that to me. <laughs> so is there anyway. anything else that even uh, though Lord we didn't really talk much about Lord only knows? Oh, great! Any... It's a big song. It's a real. It's a great... big. It's this is a classic. It's uh. 
big stone big song. stone cold classic. Uh, yes, great. <laughs> no, um, I, I really like that it's more one of the. I do want to say that it, yeah, it, it really stands out as more one of the more stripped down tracks on the album. And yeah. uh, my other note here is in all capitals. How was this not a hit? Yeah, <laughs> I I was wondering the same thing. God, such a good song, such a good song. All right, let's move on to the next track. We all know this bad boy. This is uh, New Pollution. All right, the new pollution. What I most remember about this is uh, Beck performing it at like the 1996 Video Music Awards, and it was just like a really cool retro 60s set with a bunch of dancers, and he was being his really eccentric, strange self, like dancing really stilted and stiff but smooth. And oh, you know, I, he's still doing that. Well, good for him. <laughs> and, it's funny because you know this was this is what I was getting to earlier. This was the third song he played at Riot Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the first full song I got to watch. Gotcha. Um, and you know he was doing his stilted dancing like you were talking about. Uh, it, it, it's a great dance tune. I'm surprised that this actually doesn't still get more play at like clubs or hasn't really even been sampled to uh, you know go into something new. My, my coworkers put on a lot. I don't, because of my sensibilities, I don't get control of the music anymore. I've had too many strikes on what everybody likes or dislikes. <laughs> so no matter what I do, it's just like an automatic. Uh, did Tannis put the station on? I think. Okay, I'm switching it. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they put on like a lot of you know '90s alt stuff. But um, this song comes up a lot. Like, it was kind of funny, actually. It came up today, like, right as I was getting ready, getting ready to leave, and I was like, oh, how appropriate. But yeah, I remember uh, this being the, I mean, where it's at was huge, but I don't know. I feel like I always heard this song way more. Well, it, it was kind of a toss, I mean, really, it was kind of a toss-up of the three big singles. I mean, I know that there was other singles on the album. You know, out of the major three, you you were either guaranteed to hear at, at this point in time and even, you know, nowadays, out of those three, you, you, you'll hear it's just kind of a toss-up between Devil's Haircut, New Pollution, and Where It's At. I don't know, I don't know if I could say that this was bigger than Where It's At, but, it, I mean, it was huge. It, it was all over the place, and I remember hearing it all the time. And, and even now, I can still hear that saxophone solo at the end. This is, like, pretty much ingrained in my brain from, you know, being a teenager yeah, it's one of those songs that I, I, I can, yeah, if I, listen, if I think about it and listen to it in, in my head, you can't see the motions I'm doing to the camera right now, but I have my eyes closed. <laughs> but if I think about yeah. it and I picture it, like I can hear all the weird little nuances of the drum sample that's being played over and over again and the bass and the, 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 the really quiet keyboard that's following the bass or the, yeah. like a harpist chord or something like that or... I don't know. It's just there's so many layers and all of them are super recognizable to me. This is one of those songs that I feel like, you know, like if they put a gun to my head and were like, write, write a list of five songs that define the 90s. I'd be like, first of all, you could have just asked me. You don't have to put a gun to my head. <laughs> but this song would be on it for sure. Like right along with yeah. like Smells Like Teen Spirit or something like that. Iconic, like 
yep, this is, you, you want five songs that are that decade? This is one of them for sure. Yeah, this... it definitely, this is definitely one that defines the decade. You put this on a, a 90s compilation every single time, it, it, how can you not? It, it, it just has that 90s sound. And again, you know, this ushered in a whole wave of, you know, electronic influence music into the alternative scene that may not have been, you know, they, I think the BC Boys kind of scratched the surface with Check Your Head. This one, like, opened the floodgates. I strongly agree with that. Oh, no. no. A little piece of trivia. Marilyn Rice Cub is totally in the new Pollution video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did see the... All right. Do you have anything else to say about the new Pollution? No, I don't. Right on, right on. Let's go on to our next track. The uh, super trippy Derelict... Now, this song is great. I don't know. I really love it. It almost doesn't fit on this album, but it's the perfect break you needed from the first four tracks. Just hitting you yeah. over the head with awesomeness. It's like, God, oh, take a breather. We're still going to be good here. Yeah. We're just taking a breather. We're not going to be so exciting. And it's... It does it, it does have a weird break in the flow from everything else. And it's not so many... You know, because so far you've had, like... You know, either party tunes or uh, great introspective tunes like Lord Only Knows. It's a good thing that I guess I was never a stripper because I would choose like the weirdest music. I would choose the weirdest songs. I don't think your I don't think your music choice is the reason that we should all be glad you're not a stripper. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, but I'm saying like there's many reasons that it's a good thing I'm not a stripper, but one of them would be, they would just be like, what the fuck is this guy dancing to? Or like, if it's a good thing that like, I didn't run a strip club because I'd be like, Hey, go on out there and dance to derelict. Like that. Like, hey, uh, have you ever heard of Frodus? Well, I'd really like to tell this joke to you, but I can get fired. So just, uh, dance to feel good song of the year. Will you? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's one that, that's just for us, I guess. <laughs> and Zach in the chat room. Hi, Zach. Oh, Zach's in the chat room, huh? He is indeed. He's our only viewer right now. Great. He's been with us the whole time. Yeah, oh, see nice. That, see that, Zach? I put the little chat window up. I don't know, man. It's just a great, druggy, catchy little tune. It's the perfect break. It runs well, a little and, long. And it has... It's like... It runs a little long, If it was like two it and a half minutes, it'd be... Sexiness. Yeah, if it was two and a half minutes or something, though, it'd be one of those songs that I'd want to listen to over and over again. But by the end of it, you're like, okay. Yeah, at the end of it, you're like, I want to party again. Give me something good, you know? They indeed do give you something to party with. And this next song, let's go on to Novocaine. song yes again i know i'm repeating myself a little bit here but it's another lost paul's boutique track for sure and that thing fucking rips i love that song like it sounds great in a car that can actually pump out a little bass like it's just it is fun it makes me want to jump up and down 
it it makes me feel like I'm freaking eighteen again. It's just one of those fun yeah, ass no, songs. Cocaine is a great hip hop song. And in fact, I actually wrote down that it's probably the best hip hop influenced song on the album besides Where It's At. Yeah, for sure. But he's just straight up rapping in this one. Just really mm-hmm. I mean he's really going for it. And when he is, what I really appreciate about Beck whenever he does this white dude rapping thing is that he totally avoids all the tropes of hip-hop and so it just sounds like i don't know he's he's doing a hip-hop cadence with his flow and everything but he's not just emulating or copying anything exactly it's like it's instead of he learned how to do it this way it's more like he does it this way and it's good yeah and it's just he yeah he's slaying it he's great it's just ah, yeah. I, the song gets me so hyped, as, <laughs> as you can tell. <laughs> Fucking love it. It's probably my it's a uh, great song. second favorite song on the album. Well, I would have to agree. <laughs> so, if we're gonna, uh, do you have anything else to say about Novocaine besides that it's a super nope. sick party jam? Yeah, well, maybe the fact that it's it's again it should have been a better bigger hit. Um, this is one that, that should be played at every single party. Yeah, I have a feeling if it's one of those ones that you could bust out and people be like, oh, who the fuck is this? And you'd be like, this is Beck. They'd, they'd, they'd just a big question mark would appear above their head like they were a quest giver in World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, they're, they're like, I did not expect this. And it's like, well, that's because you weren't paying attention. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Novocaine, great song. So if we're going to say that yeah. that's my second favorite song on the album, let's just go right into the seventh song on the album. My favorite song on this album. This yeah, is... It, ja- it, wait, yes. wait. Jack, let me play a little bit of it here, John. Let me just... Uh... You seemed very ready to talk about this song, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah, Jack- Jackass is an—it's an incredible song, and the the thing too that I'm really surprised about is that it's called Jackass. Like, I, I think I think probably while they were writing it, he was like, you know, I I this song is beautiful. It, it's a great song. I can't give it like some serious title. I have to you know fuck around with it. I uh, I should call it something like Jackass. Yeah, and uh, it, I don't know, like, this this, this song is beautiful, and I kind of, I remember, it wasn't a, was I can't remember if it was a single or not, but I remember I heard it on the radio a few times, because Mar- if it wasn't a single, I then it was... it was a single. Okay, Marco... It wasn't, it didn't get very big. Yeah, Marco Collins played this, and I remember he was a big into this song, and uh, I, I recorded it on a tape once, and I liked it so yeah. much that I did a dual tape thing, so I recorded it onto one of my tapes two times in a row the same recording <laughs> off the radio yeah. so every time i listened to it i could go and listen to it twice because i liked it that much and this this is the first song that made me sad yeah I, like i seriously i remember this is like the first song that like all of a sudden emotions woke up in me and i wasn't a little kid anymore and i was getting sad about like girls that i had a crush on and just being like oh 
I'm just a jackass, and yeah, yeah, I can't, you know, whether or not well, I was resonating then, with every lyric, it made me feel a yeah, certain way. And I, I have in my notes that it was, it has a nice Pet Sounds era vibe to it. Yeah, that that really um, kind of a, that nice Mellotron. Yeah, and the the interesting thing is is that it has, well, it, it samples another song that was recorded by them. But it is actually a cover of uh, "It's All Over Now, Baby Blue" by uh, Bob Dylan. Now, what part is that? Then? Which is is that the acoustic uh, part near the end? Most, mo- well, most of it. Like it, because it, it kind of loops. I I actually haven't heard. I I used to when I was in my Bob Dylan phase. I would listen to "It's All Over Now, Baby Blue" a lot, and I've never heard the them version. I should go back and listen to it. But I was actually surprised that there wasn't any actual Beach Boys uh, samples on there because it definitely has that that Pet Sounds vibe to it. It's it's just a great emotional song. I agree wholeheartedly, and constant theme with this album seems to be, uh, how wasn't this song a bigger hit? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's kind of weird I mean, to me that like this song is so important to me, and I first heard it on the radio, but yet it's one of those songs that fell by... One of those songs that fell by the wayside of the rest of Beck's monster hit singles. Well, and and the weird thing too is is that you know later on when uh, Moby released Play, like every song was released as a single, and every song was a huge deal. Um, but this album, you know, I think well we we know about the big three, and then there was two others or so. Uh, you know, there was. Um, well, I, I, Sissy Neck was a single, and God, what what else did we talk about that was... Uh, Lord Only Knows. Yeah, Lord Only Knows. I don't know how all of these songs weren't at least, you know, tried to be singles. <laughs> they, they all had the opportunity to be. They were all, you know, single caliber. This one should have been up there with, like, Everybody Hurts in that, that kind of emotional caliber and 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 been as big well i don't have anything more to add about jackass i just i don't either i don't know i just feel a lot for that song and i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to tear it apart and i don't want anybody to hurt it and everybody to be nice yeah. to it and leave it alone yeah you, you just want you just want you know it, it, it to stay in that special little place special little place my heart but all right i think everybody in the fucking world knows this next song track Eight or nine, depending on which track listing you're look at. Looking at, this is the monster where it's at. So earlier when I said if there was a guy pointing a gun to my head that told me if he's going to shoot me, if uh, I didn't make five songs that were from the 90s that would define the 90s, I could easily replace this with the new pollution and it would still be accurate. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree. This is this is actually I have this written in my notes. Favorite Beck song ever. This is not only my favorite song on the album, but favorite Beck song of all time. This song It's a bold statement for like it it's 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 surprising that like and and not to I'm I'm totally behind you if this is your favorite song. Yeah, the one of the biggest hit singles being one of your favorites. That's 
it's not really your flavor yeah, of dealing know, with things. It's, it's not the way that I do things, but the song is so fucking good. That <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, I can't, I, you know, I, I, it has to be number one for me. It, it came back into my conscience a few years ago when I was uh, playing in a, a cover band and I actually tried to get us to, to cover the song, but my guitarist at the time, he didn't think that it would go over with audiences. And I was like, how would it not? This is a perfect song. Uh, and, and, you know, to add, like, to make it like an actual just rock song where you play it, it would have been perfect. This song, I mean, it's obvious that Beck knows the importance of this song because when I saw him live, they went off stage for their, you know, be, you know, for encore time. Mm-hmm. They all went off stage, and when they came back on, they literally did a twenty or twenty-five minute version of the song. <laughs> That's um, fucking awesome. Now, of, <laughs> of course, like the, you know, he he took the time to introduce the the other band members, and they they kind of went into like there was a little medley going on where they did like good time, you know. Uh, there was a couple of other things, and actually one of my favorite moments of the night because Gary Newman was at Riot Fest that day and he actually put on the surprise set of the whole weekend. I did not think that that was going to turn out to be one of my favorite sets of the whole weekend, but he killed did you, it. Did you, yeah, you um, watched him then? Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh that's fucking Gary awesome. Gary yeah, that's what I've heard about him. My friend Sky was really into him and she went and saw him on Halloween once here in yeah, Seattle it, and she was just like, he's stuff, fucking it's awesome. Gary Nine Inch Nails influence. You know, it's great. I, I, I'm totally digging, you know, in, and, you know, I've always been a fan of the early Gary Newman stuff. But the great thing about when Beck did uh, Where It's At, he brought Gary Newman out and then they did about a minute of Cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. It was I mean, it was such a great performance. And, and the fact that he did it during Where dude, It's At, it dude, just made did, it did, like, even... Did Fear Factory come out and then do their cover of Cars yeah. with Beck? <laughs> Yes, yes. And then he's like, and Fear Factory, even though they're not You're in my car. <laughs> it actually reminded me of probably my one of my favorite things to ever involve back is that scene in uh Futurama where the you know they're performing, Beck's performing, and he's like, You didn't mean to do a three-hour performance, but we couldn't figure out how to end that song. <laughs> 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 that's pretty fucking hilarious oh man it's one of those songs for me that um when i hear it i think of the music video like an almost frame for frame one of my favorite things especially since at that time that was right around the time that uh achy uh, breaky heart was like a huge deal mm-hmm. and i think actually achy breaky heart mania was kind of winding down but people you know my parents, my, my mom and my stepdad had actually, they had gone out and learned how to line dance because of Achy Breaky Heart. I think my parents did too. Like, Yeah, like, I mean, it's a thing. That you, <laughs> when people ask you how the 90s were, you have to go, White. I don't even want to talk about it because it was fucked up. <laughs> the, the simple fact that, you know, that was a huge thing. And then it made it into the Beck video and it made it in in a way that was making fun of it, but also didn't seem out of place. It was it just really, you know, that, that was one of the, the great genius things about Beck was he could throw anything at you and you're like, yep, that works. 
And I, uh, the part that I always remember the most is uh, what I now know to be a William Shatner reference. But that part where he's uh, where it's just the drums and he's singing really staticky. There's a destination a little up the road. And in the video, yeah. all of a sudden, like, different versions of him start appearing more and more drunk than the one before. Yeah, yeah. I guess that was like a reference to William Shatner singing Rocket Man at some sci-fi yeah. award convention where he does that same thing. And I had no clue. Till later on, but I, but I always, I always loved that part of the video just because it was so weird and silly, and ah. then he's dressed like Captain Beefheart in part of the video, a hook on his hand and shit, <laughs> referencing yeah, past the Ducci. Just... It was like a, yeah. it was, it was chock full of pop culture references before society was making pop culture references on a regular basis. It's really weird. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Well, all right, let's see here. Let's um go to the next track. The really fun uh, rocker minus. Let me uh, get to a good pot. Oh, here we go. Here a bit of it. Minus is a fucking great song that is so out of place on this album. It's pretty crazy how out of place it is. I mean, it's definitely the most rock song on the album. It's definitely a song that I I don't know. It's it sounds so much like '90s rock, but at the same time, sounds as new as it. It it reminds me of Jay Retard a lot, especially yeah. towards the end when he's like getting a little more raw with the vocals and just kind of howling. It even reminds me of Digital Leather a tiny bit. I thought that I had written down, because this this song is definitely, well, I, I, I'd actually said this, written this down about uh, uh, Novocaine, that that was very Check Your Head sounding. But Minus also sounds like it could have been on Check Your Head. Hmm. I, I guarantee you that this wasn't even Beck's idea to put this kind of song on there. I, I bet you, you know, the, the Dust Brothers were like, well, we're, we've kind of ripped off our ideas for the, you know, the, the Beastie Boys on other songs. Why don't you come up with something that's, you know, kind of distorted and, and rocking and, and whatever. And this was one that I actually wrote surprised wasn't a hit on alt radio. Yeah, it's perfect for it. It's two and a half minutes long. It's fun. It's catchy. Or no, it's sorry. Yeah. It's almost it's almost four minutes long. Or no, no, it's two and a half. Okay, Sorry, oh, I'm looking at the no, wrong no, track here. I apologize. Two and a half minutes long. It's a, it's a short blast. Of, Working out the kinks, uh, everyone. Sorry. I'm looking at two different screens here. My apologies, John. Well, you should be looking at four different screens. What are you, okay, what are you let doing? Me, let me turn on my phone or my tablet. Hold on. God. <laughs> yeah. Wait. You're wasting eye time. <laughs> Is that Apple's new uh, yeah. <laughs> That's their new thing. <laughs> Ruin your eyes. <laughs> all right um anything else to say about minus nope just great rock song excellent i agree wholeheartedly gonna move on to the next track uh let's hear a little bit of sissy neck
Sissy Neck is a freaking great song that I hate the title of. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those. Well, the title of it does not really... If someone was like, hey, I'm going to go listen to Sissy Neck, you would not expect what you hear. Yeah, it almost sounds like it's a it's B... A... It's like a Butthole Surfer's B-side. Yeah, well, it, it's a great country song. And one thing I did notice about it, too, is that if you listen... If you if you if you kind of like isolate out the uh, the country parts of it, mm-hmm. the beat that that is underneath it sounds very much like "Bust a Move" by Young MC, which is someone else that the the Dust Brothers produced. I'll have to listen closely to that next time. But yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's it's got that that. Hold on, let me uh, turn it back shuffle. up a little bit. Let me hear that. Yeah. Okay. okay. I could. I could hear it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, but again, that might be I, that I that infamous "Amen" drum break that's been used yeah. in a sample of everything, probably even "Bust a Move." <laughs> yeah, most likely. You know. Yeah. But yeah, that would. I would. I mean, the Dust Brothers are smart and resourceful enough to re- reuse their own shit without it sounding exactly like their own shit, despite it probably well, being exactly. the same piece of drumming. And and that is, you know, that that is a great quality of an artist is to be able to use some elements that remind you, oh, yeah, this is a Dust Brothers production without it going, oh, they literally just laid out Bust a Move and said, Beck, sing some country lyrics over it. This is a song that uh, upon my re-listen to this album as it started, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Just, as I got no I was kind of whatever until the chorus hit, and then I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. This song is really good. <laughs> like, and then, and, and I like, and I like the verse or anything, but just without the chorus, like, at first, I was just kind of like, oh, whatever to this song. I think I remember. And then the chorus hit, and I was like, no, wait, this is amazing. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, Five it's star chorus. When, you know, it's great. When songs that, you know, kind of, you know, oh, it's okay, you know, through most of it, and then they hit that great chorus, and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, even if the rest of the song was super mediocre, as long as you have this great chorus, you have, you have a great song. Mm-hmm. That's literally the formula for hip-hop nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it kind of is. You don't need a good um, song, you just need a good, or a hook. You just exactly. need a hook. You just need a piece you, of a chorus. In a piece Actually, of a chorus. I think that's been the that has been one of the 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 one of the things I have disliked about hip hop hip hop for a long time is yeah. just getting that hook in there and then they're like we're done we did what we needed to do we we didn't we didn't write a great song but we wrote an okay hook and that's all that anybody cares about. Yeah, and I guess that's, that's one of the did for three months and then who gives a shit after that. And I guess that's one of those hip-hop tropes that I, I was speaking of Beck kind of avoiding on most of these songs. We'll get to my other side of the feelings on that in a couple tracks here. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it's, yeah, it just has a really fresh quality to it, and the chorus is a full chorus, and it really, it really saves the song from being just a, oh, it's a good track, oh, it's fine, on the record. It's, yeah. it's really great i really like sissy neck and yeah. i really like the song too <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Whoa. all right 
Um, all right, let's move on to the next song. Ready made. Ready made. Now, this song was a great example. Like, so much of this uh, album, and to its benefit, is a lot of the sample use and the dense layering of those samples and making a lot happen at once and making it all work together. And I think this song is a great uh, exercise in almost the opposite, where everything's really spaced out and chill, and this song is taking its time, and it's a nice short song. It's it's like if there's uh, two sides of the coin and uh derelict is one of them ready made's the other and if we're speaking in terms of an lp they're in the same almost position on the a and b side i would say so it's definitely a fine song but i I didn't have a lot to say about it i I essentially my nose just wrote continues the country vein i honestly Um, think the album could have ended here yeah well i i know why you're gonna say that but (laughs) i i do have to disagree i you know this is kind of more for me good song but it's not one that i go would go and seek out it's not like if i'm talking to my buddies you know what song i haven't heard ready made by back off of Odelay. <laughs> i i if it you know if i'm listening to the whole album yep fine song won't skip it but other than that i don't have a lot to say about it me me neither it's, yeah, it's, it's just fine it's there it doesn't take away from anything it doesn't add too much but i just I did notice that it was a little more sparse than a lot of the other tracks. And uh, and it works that way. And especially since it's a nice short song, I feel like it really It's got my least favorite song on this album. <laughs> yeah. one, of, one of John's favorites. Uh, I didn't say it was one of my favorites. I just said I liked it. Oh, okay. Um, this song is called High Five. We're already off to a bad... Rock, rock the cat skills. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. <laughs> No. All right. <laughs> no. This song plays into every single hip hop trope that he has been avoiding this entire album. It's a step backwards, and the fact that this song is on this album and not the song "Deadweight" from a Life Less Ordinary soundtrack is a fucking crime. Yeah. Yes. I, I disagree. I mean, th- this song when I was in high school was actually one of my favorites on the album. It's not one of my favorites now, but I do love the the throwback. And if there was a song that we were going to say is like the most Paul's Boutique, this is definitely one. Yeah, I, I, they, they should have started it with a guy going, you know, give me an old school beat. But I, I mean, I think there is someone who says something like that, you know, towards the end. Hello? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was looking at the lyrics here <laughs> and I'm just lost in some of this. And I was trying to find out what you were saying or what you were talking yeah. about right there. I was like, I was like, did you did you just end it all there? I just, just like, I just walked this. away. I yeah, I just I can't handle this anymore. I am done. I am setting my house on fire, and the cops can deal with it. I, I'm fucking out. I'm done. I don't know. I just uh, when I rock, it's like a high five. Want to slap in the face? 
I love the taste. All my days with my wheelchair ways, watch me die in my suicide high. These sound like fucking Limp Biscuit lyrics. When I rock, it's like a high five. What a slap to the face. I love the taste. Yeah, all my days in my wheelchair ways, watch me die in my suicide high now. Yeah, but see, here, it's you know, terrible. The thing is, is if he if he had put like you know a drop D guitar riff in there, I would have been like, "Fuck this, I'm out." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If if he would have if it would have sounded exactly, yeah, you're right. Those those do kind of sound like something that a white you know new metal rapper would write, but without that that you know shitty guitar underneath it, I, I find this to be a fun song. Uh, it's or it's it's just when everything is such a high quality, all of a sudden there's just cornball right at the fucking end. Or yeah, the, I, well, it's I, I, do, I, I do I do I do like do the refrain that. of rocking the plastic like a man from the Catskills, kind of referencing re- rocking the mic like a fucking like yeah. an old road comic, which is I like that reference. But I just this I don't, it just it reminds me so much of that rapper's delight way of rapping. The chicken tastes like yeah, wood and all that shit. That, 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 sometimes I really do enjoy that just that old school, simple, back to where you know hip hop started kind of all feel. Right. All right, well, apples and oranges, I guess. You know. Apples and oranges, I guess. You know, we're not going to end our friendship over this this disagreement. That that'll come way later down the road. No, that'll come out <laughs> when you find out which song I don't like off a of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, God. The answer may have you surprised. There's your clickbait, John. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. But, yeah, I mean, okay, fine. You know, I won't shit on it too hard anymore. It is a... And I guess, you know, if it's... I guess it does... It does the song a favor that he's, like, rapping through a megaphone. And I'm not hearing those lyrics out loud. And so it does kind of make me think, now that you're defending it, like, okay, maybe it was just, like, a... Fuck it, I'm writing a dumb song. Like, here we go. Yeah. I guarantee you that this was just supposed to be a dumb song to be played at parties. I mean, because he had written a whole somber folk album where three, I know at least three songs were completed for it. Um, and he was doing it with Bongload Records. And actually, that's where the song after this one comes from. But he scrapped it in favor of making a party album. And I, I guarantee you that High Five rock this the cat skills was a big part of that that whole feel whether or not you know people think it still holds up or that it works at the time i think that it was a bold and good choice to put on the record i'll give you that one i'll give you it it's just my least favorite i just was surprised at how much i didn't like it honestly when i was listening to it again i was like oh no i don't like this at all (laughs) (laughs) your points are completely valid i mean I'm not going to blame you for anything that you said. You know why? You know why I think it is? Is because Sure Shot kind of did this already, and it's a better song. Yeah, that's very true. And it, it, it honestly does kind of sound... It's the only thing on this album that I feel does sound like derivative. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely very derivative. Do you have anything else Let's to say about high five? No. This is Ramshackle.
Ramshackle is a great sleepy album ender. The only reason yes. earlier I said Ready Made, we could have ended on Ready Made, is because if Ramshackle played right before Ready Made, then it could end on Ready Made oh. and we'd be good. Or maybe Ramshackle yeah. would be like the secret track, how that used to be a thing that fans did when CDs were the way we consumed music on a mass level. Well, they, they, did, they did have a secret track on this album. Oh, well, it was computer oh. rock, and that's just a couple of bleep boops that play for 43 yeah. seconds. Yeah. It's no, it's no, uh, it's no earache of my eye, like on Corrin's Follow the Leader, the greatest secret track of all time. All of a sudden there's a Cheech and Chong cover at the end of this angsty trash record, and it's like the yeah. best part of it. <laughs> so uh, stupid. <laughs> I, I do, I do agree that we could have ended the album at song 11. I could have actually done without Ready Made and High Five. As much as I defended High Five, if it had never made it on the record, I wouldn't have been like, man, you know what this needs? It's an old school Beastie Boys ripoff. I would have been like, hey, this is perfect. You know, it, up until Ready Made and High Five, those are the only two songs that I think started to show a little weakening in, in, the, 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 in all the songs on this record. It could have ended with Ramshackle and I would have been fine. I mean, I just, it's, it's one of those songs that I, um, you know, different albums teach you different things throughout your youth. You grow up, you realize different ways that bands kind of intentionally order things or sequence things. And uh, one of the first yeah. times I noticed that is on a record I'm sure we'll talk about at some point on a, uh, I would really like to, I'm sure you'd agree with me, is Radiohead's Kid A. I had a great experience with our uh, friend Chris G. And um, just on, just based on the fact that I saw the video for Optimistic and I really liked that song. And then that album uh -huh. won a Grammy or whatever, and I was like, fuck it, I'm buying Kid A, and that'll be the first Radiohead album I buy. You know, this is in the middle of Tannis and Chris, like, listening to Limp Bizkit and New Metal and all this <laughs> terrible stuff. We sat and we listened to Kid A from front to finish, and um, last song on there, it's something, Motion Picture Soundtrack. It's just, called, it's just called Motion Picture Soundtrack. And um, I remember being like, and this is the credit roll to the album. And it was the first time I'd noticed, oh, that happens sometimes when bands do things right. And that's how I feel about Ramshackle. Ramshackle is just kind of like the credit roll to the album. Yeah. You know, really, if you're, if you're sequencing things correctly, you want a really strong song in the, in the beginning. Songs that, that follow it but don't overshadow that first song. You want something huge in the middle, which is what they did with Where It's At. But you also... You know, if you can get another single in there, which they did with New Pollution, and then, you know, a couple of other just non-album tracks, I mean, non-single tracks that, that, you know, people will fall in love with and love to see live and keep you, you know, playing long after your albums have stopped being good. That's, you know, that, I mean, the sequencing to this up to this point has been perfect if you're following that, that order. Have a huge song like Where It's At, right in the, you know, kind of towards the end so people don't get bored and then give you you know a couple of songs to kind of wind down the album which is weird that you know high five you know almost second to last or it's the second to last song yeah it's just so when, out of know, place maybe if it was one of the first songs too i'd be like oh okay if it if it came like uh if it came right after hot wax right before lord only knows yeah. or something it would be it would especially since lord only knows starts with that weird out of place just Wah! sample you yeah know? <laughs> Yeah, that's what you really want is 
for your last song to, to completely wind it down, to roll the credits, as you said, you know, to not leave you wanting more. Yeah. And, you know, really, if you're if you're doing your set list correctly, that's kind of how your shows should end, too. But you do, you know, every so often you do do a 20 minute version of where it's at, where people are still riled up at the end of the encore. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that you weren't going to give them ramshackle at the end of that show, you know. <laughs> it's like uh, so. I remember hearing a long time ago when they were for the album Morning View from incubus it was uh-huh. the one with like that wish you were here song and stuff like that rick rubin produced it yeah, it's all about but... them hanging out at the beach it's really soft and not metally at all but uh chris and yeah. crystalline went to go see them on that tour and the last song they played was the last song from that album which also ends with a bunch of crickets like at the end of it like but not like boredom crickets like you're out in the beautiful wilds by a lake crickets you know and frogs and stuff yeah. like that and um so they play this last song and they end it really chill on the last song of the album that they're doing the tour for. And then I guess they turn the lights on and they cranked that fucking cricket track. So everybody would leave. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Another you know, good I'm way good. to get people to leave is uh, when I saw Tim and Eric on their Crimbus tour, they were doing their whole like weird Crimbus special on stage. Uh, yeah. They, <laughs> they do the whole Crimbus portion of the show. It goes on for about 20 minutes. Then at the end of it, they're just like, all right, thank you, everybody. We just wanted to test this out. It's a nice test run. We really appreciate you letting us try this out. Thank you, Seattle. Everybody have a good night. Get home safe. Thanks for coming out. And they fucking turn the the house lights on at the Showbox Soto and start blasting creeds with arms wide open. And everybody was just looking around confused, like, what the fuck? Like, how do we really? That's it? I paid fucking how much for these? That's it, and people started to leave. Like, I shit you wow. not. I looked at the back, I was like, oh god, should I go? Like, and I was starting to get pissed, because I wasn't smart enough to be like, this has to be a joke. I was just like, wait, what? Are you fucking serious? Like, and then I see people kind of filing towards the door, and they shut the lights back off, and then, like, Worf comes up on the screen, and that was a running joke throughout the show, was Worf. And then people ran back, like, oh fuck, it's still going, bastards, ah! Yeah. It was one of the best That's awesome. audience trolls I've ever seen and like a live performer do. That was the funniest shit. And just playing the shittiest song imaginable, just as loud and it was loud as fuck, John. Just you're just like, oh god, it hurts. Yeah, I bet you that, that yeah, that that's that's a great prank. But but anyway, so um yeah, I guess we're done talking about Bex Odelay. John, will you be yes. listening to this album in the future? Uh, of course. This is I, I added it back into my Apple Music in order to, you know, refamiliar myself with some of the, you know, non-singles. And I don't know why it hadn't been in there for a long time. I feel the same way. I'm like, oh shit. It kind of is making me want to check out a lot of the other Beck records that I uh, didn't listen to. Which is pretty much yeah, exactly. every everything except for Midnight Vultures and Modern Guilt. Because those are the only two albums I ever really got into. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that I, I will be uh, going back. Because, I mean, you know, seeing him perform, he did about, I think, 16 songs. And mm-hmm. there was only, he, he really only did like one from each album, except for Odelay, where he did uh, three songs from it. Obviously, he knows where 
where the gold is. But there, you know, there's I know that there's other great songs that he's done, great albums that I've heard of, but I just never really checked it out because shortly after I, you know, had my obsession with this album, <laughs> that's when I really discovered, you know, punk rock and and uh, all the hardcore and metal that finished out my high school days. Yeah. So things like this kind of got lost to the wayside because, you know, it was no longer super cool. Well, and that and also there was the the next album was Mutations, which was just a really it was totally different than Odalay. It was so much more straightforward and and a little more deep and chill and not as surrealistic or fun. He tended to do that where he would just switch up styles on on the drop of a hat. Yeah, because then right Um, after Mutations was fucking Midnight Vultures and it's just like hey, neon technicolor disco fun party. like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And see, and that, that wasn't my thing at that time because I was still, you know, super obsessed with, you know, the punk rock and the battle that I was listening to. I think I was more focused on a few genres. Nowadays, I'm just like, whatever's good, whatever's good, I'll, I'll listen to it. You know, if it has some sort of value. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're you're gonna hear me go. You know what? What I really shit the bed on, uh, Nickelback. I I really didn't give them a chance the first time around, and I feel terrible about it. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing redeemable there. Yeah, sure. but Beck, I feel like has a discography full of stuff to dig into, and Odalay, this whole re-listen, this whole project of reviewing this made me want to dig into that again. So I would exactly. say this album is a rousing success because it's seriously, seriously woken up this thing in me where I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, what else have you been doing? I need to find all this yeah. other shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I just kind of feel bad that I wasn't there on the, you know, when it was released. You know, that this other stuff that I'm going to go back and listen to now. I think that's all we have to say about Odalay. John, we are going to have more episodes of this show. Shall we? We are. Or Zach in the chat room right now decide what our next album will be on air it's probably not something we'll do every um, show because we should plan out better we didn't do that because i we kind of forgot we need to do announce what are be coming up next <laughs> but uh, hey this is this is the first episode this is a practice run which one wh- what do you feel good about i kind of um want to mix it up every time i want to do something heavy okay um which of the two neurosis albums that you know i am talking about would you pick? Probably Sun That Never Sucks. All right. Then our next al- episode, we will be reviewing the album that we think is a classic, A Sun That Never Sets by hard rock legends Neurosis. Yes. Excellent. I am excited. I can't wait to get into that. I could talk about that band a whole lot. I can't wait to get into that with you, John. Yeah, me either. All righty, John. Well. If that's uh, that, I guess we'll see you all next time. And, John, you take care of yourself. All right. I will talk to you when I talk to you next. And uh, thank you for Zach for hanging out in our chat room in our first show. And uh, to everybody else, we will catch you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.